0: Looks like a handy stool. Naomi, thank you. If you have your Bibles, would you uh, turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. We'll read a section from chapter 3, and then we'll read a few verses from chapter 4. I've been asked, or encouraged, I should say, to, to do my best to summarize chapters 3 and 4. You foolish Galatians, verse 1, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if indeed it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law? or because you believe what you heard. Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credit to him, credited to him as righteousness. Understand, then, that those who believe are children of Abraham. The Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And now chapter uh, four, I'd like you to join me in reading one through six. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his Father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Shall we invite the Holy Spirit, as we have all evening, to to instruct us and do for us what, what we cannot do for ourselves, what I cannot do for you. Holy Spirit, you are to be worshipped together with the Father and the Son. You are here tonight. Jesus said that among other things, your role is to teach us and to guide us into the truth. You are the one who illuminates the word of God for our understanding. Would you do that for us tonight? Would you would you use me to make clear the ways of the Lord? And would you speak to each of us? Help us to hear what you want us to hear. We invite you to make this a supernatural, life-transforming time as we look into the scriptures. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 As you've been reading the, uh, the book of Galatians, it's my guess that you've already identified what you could call the Galatian problem. What, what have you understood it to be? This is not a test. Just an invitation. What was going on there in that church? In the churches, I should say, of Galatia? Legalism. somebody said. What else? Earning salvation. Earning salvation. Very good. Okay, so there were some people that il- infiltrated uh, Jewish converts to Christianity who were teaching gen- Gentile converts to Christianity that it wasn't enough that they believed the gospel. They had to also keep the law of Moses. And these people uh, were referred to as Judaizers. They were attempting to influence Gentile believers to believe that the gospel itself was insufficient to save them they needed help. They needed basically to adhere to the law of Moses. You're right. I believe legalism is the problem that they were, they were fighting or that Paul wanted them to fight. Let's take a moment and define legalism. What do you, def- what do you understand legalism to be? Rules are, okay. Earning your way, following the rules to a T. Okay. So true. Yep. What's that? Wow. Okay. Oh my. That's. (laughs) I'd say. I'd say all of those could work together to create a really great definition. I'm going to give you a, a very, a very brief definition that doesn't say enough, but I think it says enough for our purposes tonight. Legalism is living under the merit system instead of the mercy system. It's living under the merit system instead of the mercy system how serious is this problem how how big a danger is it to us you know i had a chance to visit with caleb a little bit before and and uh you know, He asked me what I was going to be teaching on, and I shared with him, and I said, you know, legalism is such a terrible threat, we, we don't understand how dangerous it is to our spiritual health and the health of the body of Christ, and we routinely give it a pass. We, we wouldn't give a Christian a pass if they were professing to be an ardent follower of Jesus and living in sexual sin, but we give legalism a pass. And, and, and Paul was, was so angry about legalism that he actually expressed in the book of Galatians that he wished that the people who used the knife of circumcision, the Judaizers, that their knife would slip and that they would emasculate themselves. It's, it's so serious that in Galatians 5-4, Paul said, you who seek to justify yourselves by works of the law, that is, you who live under the merit system, instead of the mercy system, you are severed from Christ and fallen from grace. Could it be more serious? I have found over the years that I have become every bit as alarmed by my own tendency toward legalism as I am toward any other problem that I face. When I was a new Christian, I was exposed to legalism's polar opposite. I met people who professed faith in Jesus, but they did something that that the book of Jude warns against. They turned the grace of God into a license for sinning. And that, of course, is counterfeit grace. Because in the book of Titus, Paul tells us that the true grace has appeared, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And then I began to meet people who seemed very sincere about their faith, about Jesus, and they had all kinds of rules that the Bible didn't have. They apparently felt that the Bible's statements about morality and the commandments of God were insufficient. And I actually found myself lured to accepting much of what they said because they seemed so sincere and they seemed so dedicated. And soon I found myself moving from the mercy system to the merit system. And I needed a grace awakening. Maybe there are some here who need a grace awakening. Some time ago I was invited to teach on, um, on a religious spirit and what are the symptoms of a person who's under the influence of a religious spirit. And um, as I understand scripture, a religious spirit isn't a religious attitude. It's an actual demonic spirit that influences people. And uh, this spirit is very prevalent in the church. And it is probably the ugliest spirit I have personally ever encountered. And it is so brilliant that I I don't think there's a person on the planet who can out-argue it. And when you encounter it, you'll find that you just need to come to the place where you stop arguing and say as respectfully as you can when you've learned that someone is under the influence of a religious spirit, just say you're under the influence of a religious spirit. (laughs) Seriously. It's that uncomplicated. And if you'd like prayer, and I'm not suggesting that you say this in some some kind of self-righteous way, if you'd like prayer, I'd be happy to pray with you. But the truth is, this conversation has ended. I had a couple of guys in a class that I was teaching. I was a guest lecturer at another school out of our country, and they had been in the class with me for four days, And they argued with everything I said, and they were quoting scriptures at me. And every time they did, I took time to look at the text they were quoting and showed them that they were taking them out of context. And uh, four days into class, I said, Fellas, I've taken all the time that I'm going to take with your concern. You're not going to be able to interrupt anyone's education in this class after this moment. You can interrupt your own, but you don't get to interrupt the education of others and I said, you guys are under a religious spirit. I know you don't know that. You can't see it. But the conversation is over. You not only not, don't get to say any more, but I'm inviting you to leave my class now. I'm serious. The, the, the people who come under a religious spirit, obviously they don't know it. They, they mean well. They're sincere. They, they're self-righteous. And they need to be free. And there might be a few people here who are under that that influence. And if you're under the influence of a religious spirit, you are a legalist. And if you are a legalist, and not just a person struggling with legalism, and there's a difference, if you are a confirmed legalist, you are in peril. You who are living under the merit system are severed from Christ and fallen from grace. And that's as serious as it gets. You might... Be a legalist if these things are true. You look for life and security from rules rather than your relationship with Jesus. Paul argued against that in Colossians 2. You might be a legalist if creating a rule is your default response to fixing a problem. Let me give you an example. A guy and gal who drive to work together end up having a sexual relationship. The legalist response is never drive anywhere with someone of the opposite sex. You might be a legalist if you are more concerned about looking good than being good. Joyce is more worried that her neighbors hurt her lose her cool with her toddler-aged children than, than she is that she lost her cool. Is Joyce a reflection of you? You might be a legalist if you place a high value on small things and miss the bigger picture. Ted is held in the grip of unforgiveness but has maintained his daily devotional life for five years. He can't see the forest for the trees, as they say. He's completely oblivious to his bitterness, but he can tell you exactly how many times he's read through the Bible. Do you see yourself in Ted? You might be a legalist if you derive confidence and a sense of personal satisfaction from your observance of checklist items. When asked how he knew he was a healthy Christian, Tommy said, I read my Bible and I pray every day. I go to church consistently and I tithe. A Pharisee does those things. Is the performance of those things the basis of your confidence or is your position of right standing in Christ the source of your confidence? You might be a legalist if you make Bible reading and prayer ends in themselves. Lenny's devotional life has become more about how much he reads and how much he prays than how he's connecting with the Lord. In John 5, Jesus talked about people who diligently study the Word and yet don't know him. You might be a legalist if you focus on the exterior life instead of the interior life. Jerry warns Larry, a new follower of the Lord, to work hard to give up his pornographic magazines but shows no concern with helping Larry deal with the lust that's in his heart. You might be a legalist if you've developed a very judgmental spirit. Ned sees himself and a select few in his church as the remnant of the true followers of the Lord. He and his pals are among those who don't smoke or chew or go with those who do. They miss the truth of James 2.13 that says mercy triumphs over judgment. You might be a legalist if you react defensively when your legalism is challenged. (laughs) Uh, Are you unwilling to consider whether the accusation has any merit? You might be a legalist if you have no room in your doctrine for matters of opinion, such as Paul talks about in Romans 14. You might be a legalist if you don't allow for the possibility that your perception of Scripture, especially as it pertains to non-essential matters, can possibly be wrong. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 8:2, let the person who thinks he knows realize he doesn't yet know as he ought to know. You might be a legalist if you embrace what Larry Crabb calls recipe theology. You can usually reduce achieving purity, for example, to a matter of three or four steps. Does your teaching rely on Jesus for its success or human willpower? Does it direct you back to the cross of Christ or to performance? Finally, you might be a legalist if, in spite of Paul's words, not to judge nonbelievers in 1 Corinthians 5, you look condescendingly on their actions. Lois regularly scolds her agnostic neighbors who are living together for their immoral lifestyle. If you feel that you can identify with some of the traits of legalism and you think you might be under the influence of a religious spirit, God wants you to know that, not to shame you. He is not the least bit interested in making you aware of that to embarrass you. He wants to liberate you. Life is too short to live under the merit system. It's too short. Even if you live to 85, it's too short to live under the merit system. God wants you to live every day knowing that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. So what do chapters 3 and 4 say to prepare us so that we are not derailed by legalism? And let me say to you that my own struggle with legalism is a lifelong daily battle. A lifelong daily battle. What do chapters 3 and 4 say to encourage us so that we are not derailed by legalism? Well, they tell us that the law is valuable. The law of God is valuable. Chapter 3 and verse 24, the law is a tutor to lead us to Christ. When you're on a highway and you see the sign as you are coming from the west on 94 and you reach the sign that says, St. Paul, 15 miles, the sign is not St. Paul. The sign points you to St. Paul. In that way, the law is like a tutor that leads us to Jesus. Through Paul's teaching in Romans, we learn that through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's a good thing. The law is a diagnostic tool. It's like an x-ray that shows you that you have a bone fracture. It's like a blood test that shows you that you have a disease. The x-ray cannot fix your your bone fracture. The the, the blood test cannot heal you or cure, cure you of your disease. But they identify that you have those issues to address, and hopefully they will point you to the cure that you need. The law works in tandem with the gospel. The law prepares us for the gospel. The, the law works for the, for the Christian as well as it works for the non-Christian. When I read in the law that I should not covet, I learn from the law. If, in fact, when I am coveting, or excuse me, that I am coveting, then I know that I need help, don't I? I know that I need the application of the gospel. Not the application of grit and determination and willpower, but the application of the gospel. I need an experience of God's supernatural mercy to make me what the law could never make me. So the law is a valuable tool. The law diagnoses bitterness. When, when I read in the New Testament, the New Testament can, contains law. Do you agree? Just as the Old Testament contains gospel. We just read in Galatians 3 that the gospel was preached in advance to Abraham. Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. David sings of the mercies of God. He sings of the fact that, that God has benefits in His covenant relationship available to believers. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and don't forget His benefits. He pardons your iniquities. He heals your diseases. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. He fills your life with good things so that your strength is renewed like the eagle. That's gospel. That's gospel. People in the Old Testament were saved the same way We're saved in the New Testament. The law did the same work for them that it does for us. The law made them aware of their sin and they began to understand through the blood sacrifice system that sin is not washed away by man's performance but by the application of blood. That was what God intended them to learn so that looking ahead to the day when John the Baptist would look at Jesus and say, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, we would understand the connection between the shedding of blood and the forgiveness of sin. God Almighty was always applying the blood of His Son to repentant Old Testament believers who understood they needed His mercy because Jesus is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That blood has always been, fancy theological word, it's always been efficacious. What does that mean? It's always had effectiveness. It's always had effectiveness. It's always been available to repentance sinners, Old Testament or New Testament. So the law is valuable. Through the law, I'm awakened to my need. It's like looking in the mirror and seeing that you have egg on your face, only something a lot worse than egg. And saying, God, I need you to cleanse me. I need you to wash me. I need you to heal me. But what's our typical default response when we see problems? We try to jack ourselves up. We try to get it together. We try harder. And I I know I've shared with you in the past what God's been saying to me for a number of years. It's not about trying harder. It's about receiving more. It's about receiving more. God's grace will show us how to receive more. So what do we learn from chapters 3 and 4? The law is valuable. We also learn that the gospel is powerful to do what the law cannot. It provides us with the Spirit and works miracles among us. Paul said that came by the hearing of faith through the gospel. It provides the Spirit, and it works miracles among us. The embracing of the truth, of the grace of God, does that for us. It makes us God's kids. And it says in verse 26, we are all sons of God through faith in Christ. And then he goes on to say, all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free male nor female. You're all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You look at verse 6 of chapter 4, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Through the grace of God, through the gospel of our Lord Jesus, through faith in Jesus, God does for us what the law couldn't do. He makes us his children. And you know, I don't know of a truth that's more valuable for the Christian in terms of Experiencing the wealth of the kingdom and the abundant life that Jesus said he wanted us to have. If you're a child, you're an heir. An heir of God, an heir with Christ. Hallelujah. That pretty much says it all. If you're a child, you have immediate and direct access. You can enter the throne of grace with boldness to find mercy to help in time of need. When you're a child, you have status. What, what better thing could be said of you than you're the child of God? You could be the child of of our president, and it wouldn't be as glorious. You could be the child of a of a earthly king, and it wouldn't be as amazing. You're a child of God. Whether you are, ever reach celebrity status in anything does not matter. You could be the greatest celebrity in the world if you're not a child of God. You don't have what really the status that really matters. Would you agree with that? You're a child of God. That'd be a good thing to remind yourself regularly. That you're a child of God on the basis of faith in Christ. Where did you get that faith to believe in Jesus? Did you manufacture it? You're right, you didn't, because it's a gift from God. The book of Hebrews says Christ is the author and the perfecter. One of the meanings of the word for author is originator. He's the originator of faith. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith, it says. He's the source. He's the originator of faith and the developer of faith. So no matter where you are in the faith continuum, you can get an upgrade. You can be a person without faith and receive faith. And how does faith come? Thank God faith comes. Romans 10 says, so then faith comes. It comes by hearing. And hearing comes by the word of Christ, by the message of Christ. When we preach the gospel, spiritual hearing is awakened into us by which we receive faith. And that's true for the believer as well as the new convert. Do you want to, do you want to receive more faith? Then pay attention to the gospel of Christ. Read it. Mull it over. Say it. Also the gospel and faith in Christ redeem us from the curse of the law. Man, that's that's amazing stuff. So all of those Old Testament curses, you can read about them in Deuteronomy 28. You can read about a lot of blessings there, too. All of those Old Testament curses no longer apply to you. You're children of the new covenant. God lifts them off of you. You don't have to live under generational curses. You don't have to live under curses associated with the law. And if you look at Deuteronomy 28, that includes things that have to do with mental health as well as your spiritual health and your financial health and your physical health. Does that make sense? So what do chapters 3 and 4 tell us? To prepare us so that we're not derailed by legalism and so we embrace the gospel. The law is valuable. The gospel is powerful. It provides the spirit and works miracles among us. It makes us God's kids. It redeems us from the law's curse. And chapter 4, verse 19, it forms Christ in us. It forms Christ in you. Paul says to the Galatians, I'm in labor again with you until Christ be formed in you. That's the heart of a pastor. That's the heart of a... And an apostle is a pastor to churches and and to church leaders. That's our heart's cry. That's what leaders want to see in the people that they serve. They want to see Christ formed in them. That's what I ache to see in my own children who are now adults. And I, I can tell you that that it's thrilling, it's humbling to see four children experience the grace of God. In spite of the fact that I got in God's way so many times. Because as a recovering Pharisee, I didn't make it easy for them. I did not make it easy for them. They are too kind in what they say about me. It's almost embarrassing what they say about me. When I hear them talk about their father, it's almost embarrassing. And I find myself thinking of the ways I messed up. And, and I've, <laughs> I've said to my kids, I know some really good counselors. And I know you need inner healing prayer. And, uh, and they, and they have, three of the four have received it, and the fourth wants it. She's just in a location where there's not, it's not ready, readily available. But my wife and I have received it too, because sometimes there's just something at work inside of you that keeps you from receiving, accepting God's unconditional love. I think that uh, this this merit system is so much a part of, of who we became as human beings that it takes God's supernatural activity to to liberate us from it. That's why I think it's an ongoing kind of thing. So as you embrace faith in Jesus, what's going to happen is Christ himself will be formed in you, and Jesus didn't struggle with legalism. Jesus didn't struggle with a religious spirit. He tried to liberate people from a religious spirit. His harshest words were were directed at people who were underneath the influence of a religious spirit because they were the people who were getting in the way of the people who were trying to seek him. So you might ask yourself, what would Jesus be saying to me? What message would he be saying to me? Would he be calling me a whitewashed tomb full of dead man's bones? You look good on the outside, but you're corrupt on the inside? Or would he be saying, come to me because you're weary and heavy laden? Let me give you rest. But do you know that the gospel is even for Pharisees? That Paul himself was a Pharisee? As was Nicodemus, a converted Pharisee? Thank God that the gospel is for prodigals and prodigals big brothers. The gospel is for everybody. Everybody can get liberated. Everybody can get emancipated, but you can't liberate yourself. Jesus is the liberator. The means he uses is the gospel. So this is the question I want to ask you. If you've, if you've been a person who's, who's yielded to legalism, you've allowed yourself to come under the influence of a religious spirit, and you want freedom tonight, you can receive freedom. I know there will be people available to pray for you. Come and receive prayer tonight. Do not leave this place without receiving prayer for liberation. If you want an upgrade, if it's something that you think you're liberated from but you continue to struggle with, get up here and get prayer. What would be the downside of receiving prayer? Additional prayer. You know, you might say, well, I received prayer for that a while ago. Well, are you cured? Um, I, I need regular upgrades. When people ask, you know, for Opportunities to receive healing prayer. I'm almost always up to receive prayer. I want more and more and more and more. If you're a person who have, you have bludgeoned people with the law, you have been Pharisaic in the way you've treated other people and you want liberation. You need to, you need to own that. It's a painful thing to own. I've done that. I've done it as a pastor. I regret it so much. It's, it's something that is, has caused me no small amount of shame. And I've asked God and others to forgive me for the times and the ways I've done that. I've asked my kids to forgive me, my wife to forgive me. And uh, and, and you know what? You can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. But let's get free tonight. Let's just be free. Holy Spirit. We want freedom. We want more freedom. We want more healing. We want cleansing. We want washing. We want liberation. We want release. Forgive us for the times and the ways we've lived under the, the merit system instead of the mercy system. Forgive us for the times and the ways we've, we've, we've believed that the blood of Jesus is insufficient. Forgive us for the times and the ways we've inadvertently even rejected the gospel. Uh, cleanse us, deliver us. Lord, we want to say tonight we renounce that religious spirit. We renounce legalism in Jesus' name. We acknowledge that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. His blood is sufficient to cleanse and to cure and to restore. The gospel is sufficient. We acknowledge that by means of the gospel, Jesus liberates us. And through, through faith in Christ alone, we are liberated. Would you help us to live by the mercy system every day, every moment? Would you help us to be gracious? as we receive this grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Would you help us, Lord, to grow in your grace and knowledge and make us what we can't make us. And Lord, may we truly give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And all God's people said.
1: Stay in an attitude of prayer. One reason why I like this message, because I am... Uh, I'm a cousin of Kevin's. I'm a recovering Pharisee. I know it. He nailed it tonight for us. And uh, as one who understands this by having been a part of it and being extricated by the sheer mercy and grace of God not to earn my status but to receive what god wants to give me as a son or a daughter i want to just pray along with kevin now if you find yourself influenced or gripped by a merit system just put your hand up here put your hand up if if you find yourself in some way gripped by that i identify with you i identify with the struggles that you have. Because it's an ongoing battle for me as well, not to turn grace into another principle. Not to turn the person of Jesus into an idea, and something that, okay, I can do this. I can do it. I can get up. I can I can exercise. I can make it happen. Oh God, we are so sorry where we step outside your grace into performance. We are so sorry when we attempt to complete the work of the cross by our own efforts. Lord, please, thank you for tonight. Thank you for making us aware again of how easy it is to slip back from grace into a merit system. We bless our brother Kevin. We thank you for him. We thank you for his message. And tonight we would lay hold. I want you to... Lay hold on grace now. Just say yes to the grace of God. Say yes to His grace. If you want to come up, some are coming up. If you feel a call just to come up and kneel. We want to receive the grace as it comes from a wonderful Savior who allows us to come into fellowship with His Father and receive His mercy unmerited by us, merited by Jesus. Oh thank you.
2: Let's sing. What can wash away my sin? What can? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole? Nothing, Jesus, plus nothing but the blood of Jesus. wo precious is the flow that makes me white as snow No other fount I know Nothing but the blood of Jesus This is all my righteousness Nothing but the blood of This is all my hope and peace. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me. White as snow No other fount I know Nothing but the blood of Jesus Now in
1: your heart Even as we respond to an altar call We want to say in my heart I can't, you can We want to say Spirit, you can do this I can't even properly repent. I can come. I can acknowledge it. But your Spirit can work this in me. Having begun in the Spirit, He says, Are you going to continue in the flesh? So we don't want to do this in the flesh. We're simply saying, Holy Spirit, You can work this in us. The Bible says, God is at work within you, both to will and to work, for His good pleasure. So we trust in Your work, Holy Spirit, now tonight. We trust in You to make this real in our heart. As We try to make something happen. We're trusting in You. We're trusting in Your Word, powerful Holy Spirit, and to keep us in this place. Keep us in this place. I'm going to invite people to come and join us in prayer. Now, Kevin, if you could come up, ministry team, if you could take your place up here. And I want you to do one of two things. Either find somebody close to you just somebody, whether you know them or not, say, will you pray for me? Pray for me that I can walk as a, as a forgiven saint, touched by blood, make, made holy by the blood of Jesus. Would you pray for me that I can walk in the power of the Spirit, not I'm in the power of this just, just turn now to someone near you, or if you want to, you can come forward. Come forward and receive prayer. We've got one here. If there are other... Leaders who could, who are involved in prayer ministry, they're willing to come up, you just make your way up.